Thank you, Dylan. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. It's been a beautiful day, and we've been blessed with a great day of worship, fellowship with one another, and we want to encourage everyone to plan to be back Wednesday night for our Bible study. I think about some of the things that we face in this life and in the world in particular, and just coming to Bible study and worship gives us what I would call added protection against the world. There are certain things that we have to do on our own, but we need all the arsenal that we can muster to fight the devil. And so our willingness, our desire to be at worship services and Bible study, I really believe it will benefit and bless our lives. And we need, we need to spend time together in worship and in fellowship. We're going to be looking tonight at 1 Peter chapter 1. And as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we want to talk about the impact truth can have on our lives. And really, when you look at the scriptures, one of the things that ought to stand out to all of us is the fact that God intends for his word to have a great influence on our lives. Sadly, sometimes people mistake the power and influence truth can have in their lives. As a result of that, they neglect the truth of God. They fail to spend adequate time reading, studying, and meditating on God's holy word. And yet, if we will spend time in God's word, it will bless our lives, it will better us as we strive to serve in the kingdom, and ultimately it will lead us safely home. And our ultimate goal is heaven. I want us to look at verses 22 through 25. The first thing I want us to do is to begin by identifying the truth. Now as you look at verse 22, Peter said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. First of all, there are what I would call some earmarks of truth. And Peter identifies some of these earmarks of divine truth. The truth, as we know it, has been inspired by the Spirit. Peter said that their souls had been purified through the truth, and the truth had been given by whom? By the Holy Spirit. There are many passages that underscore the fact that God's word is not the product of human invention. Peter in his second letter would say that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. Peter would also add in verses 3 and 4 that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How did he do that? By inspiring men. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul would say all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. The book that we call the Bible is a product of an almighty God. When I began to look at the Bible, there are some things that let me know that this book is divine. First, I think about the unity of the scriptures. 
There are 66 books contained in the Old and New Testaments. All of these books literally fit hand in glove. You can begin in Genesis and go to the book of Revelation and you'll see how every scripture fits cohesively together. The Bible was penned over a period of about 1,500 years. And beginning in Genesis, going forward, every book bears the marks of inspiration. And as we look at this book, we think not just of its unity, but also its uniqueness. What other book do you know that even comes close to what we call scripture or the Bible? There's no other book known to man comparable, in my mind, to this book that we call the Bible. It is an extraordinary piece of literature. And as you begin to look at the lives and the events and the historical things that are underscored in this book, you'll see the uniqueness of it. Look at the great impression that it has made on the lives of people down through the ages. The number of books that have been written, the songs that have been recorded, over and over again, we read and think about the uniqueness of divine scripture. Now, as we think about the scriptures being inspired by the spirit, there are a couple of things that I would point out very quickly. First has to do with the aim of scripture. Did you know that God has an ultimate aim in terms of people receiving his truth? That aim is that we would live in accordance with his word. Jesus was all about pointing people to his word, that is to the word of God. I, I, I think about what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The word of God will make you what you ought to be. It will bless and enrich your life. There are so many spheres of life that can be blessed by God's word. We've talked before about ancient Israel and how the kings of Israel were to have kept at their side a copy of the scriptures. That word or that book was to not only have influenced their lives, but in influencing their lives, they in turn would influence the lives of others. And those that turned a deaf ear to the word of God, look at the mayhem that resulted. God's word is intended to lead man to a higher plane. Our society today is in a spiral. And the reason is because we have abdicated the importance of God's holy truth. It's reflected in the home, in the business world, in the government. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then I think about the authority of the scriptures. God's word is inspired. And God intends this book to regulate the behavior of individual Christians and the church. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all scripture, or rather, he would say, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever we do in word or in deed, he said, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That simply means to do it by his authority. 
And so when we look to matters of religion, we want to make sure that we are appealing to the authority of Christ. Listen to what Peter said in chapter 4, verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So here, the apostle Peter is saying, what you need to do is allow the word of God to regulate your lives. Whatever you say, whatever you do, listen to what God has to say. Now, there's a second thing I want to point out. We talk about how the scriptures have been inspired by the Spirit. Another important point that we want to make is that the truth, it is defined by Peter as the incorruptible seed. Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. There's some things that maybe we would do well to consider in light of what Peter has said regarding this incorruptible seed. First of all, think about the seed principle. Moses said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, every seed brings forth after its own kind. The application to us today is we're not to dilute God's word. We don't need a hybrid seed. We want the pure and undiluted truth of Almighty God. When we, when we preach and teach and uphold the truth of Almighty God, guess what happens? People become New Testament Christians. They become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think about this seed principle. And then what about the power of the seed? Look at what Peter said in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another with a pure, with a pure heart fervently, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. This seed that we're talking about has power. In other words, it has the ability to germinate spiritual life. Add to that productivity. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus identified the seed of the kingdom as the word of God. And he said, when that seed falls in honest and good hearts, you know what happens? It bears fruit. When the seed is deposited into the hearts and lives of people, if the heart is right, it will germinate. Sometimes we wonder why people don't respond to the gospel immediately. Well, just like that seed takes time to germinate in the ground, by the same token, when we plant that seed, that is, the word of God, into the hearts and lives of people, sometimes it takes time to germinate and then bring forth fruit. It might take days, it might take weeks, months, even years. But God's word has that kind of power. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we talk about some of the earmarks of the truth. There's a second thing I want you to see in connection with the identity of the truth, and that is the endurance of the truth. Note, if you would, that last phrase in verse 23. Peter talks about the word of God which lives and abides forever. In verse 25, we have a quotation taken from the prophet Isaiah. Back in Isaiah chapter 40 at verse 8. And here's what it says. The word of the Lord endures forever. What's Peter saying? All Peter is saying and all Isaiah was saying is that God's word will stand the test of time. Generations come and go, but God's word 
keeps on going. Go back and look at the Old Testament. Read the prophet Jeremiah. You remember Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet? He began prophesying on the eve of Babylonian captivity. As a result of his message, he encountered numerous enemies. The king during the days of Jeremiah, one of the kings, Jehoiakim, did not like what God's word said. You know what he tried to do? Cut it out. That's what people do today. If they don't like it, what do they do? Ignore it. Try to remove it. Think about how many people have done everything within their power to banish, berate, burn, destroy God's holy word. And yet here it is today. God's word will continue to roll on down through the ages. This book's not going anywhere. Now it might be that individuals remove it from their personal lives. It might be that nations say, we're not interested in God's word anymore, but guess what? Not going anywhere. This word is so important and so enduring that we'll see it one day in the judgment. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day. So God's word's gonna be around. Now, people may not like that. They may not like to take that into consideration, but it's the truth. And as I think about some of the events that are ongoing in our society today, in our country, we would do well to step back and reassess what we think about truth. What we ought to do is muster the conviction of the psalmist in the long ago who said, my heart standeth in awe of your word. When you read and study this word and you, you begin to, to understand that this book is God's word, it'll leave you in awe. There's a second thing I want to call attention to, and that is the importance of the truth. What about the capabilities of God's holy truth? Is the word of God capable of doing its job? The answer is yes. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah talked about God's ways and God's thoughts, and he said, God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But he talked about the word, the truth of Almighty God. And he said, God's word will not return to him void. God's word has tremendous power. And so when we think about the capabilities of the truth of Almighty God, let me share a couple of capabilities with you. Number one, the truth of God can lead to the purification of the soul. Listen again to what Peter said, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now let's just pause there for a minute. What is it that contaminates the soul? What is it that creates a barrier between us and God? It's sin, isn't it? What then has the ability or the power to remove the stain of sin? The truth. When we obey the truth of Almighty God, that is when we follow God's ordained way to become a, ch a child of God, we enjoy purification. In other words, our sins are washed away. Now you could add to that the pardoning of the soul. Let me just give you some passages of scripture. 
In Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5, John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. God's word leads us to that fountain from which all sins can be washed away. The blood of Jesus Christ. How do I contact the blood of Jesus Christ? What is it that washes away my sins? Well, Paul answered that question. In Acts 22, 16, he said he was instructed by Ananias in the long ago to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we're baptized into Christ, every sin washed away. Now note what he says in verse 23. Having been born again. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about being born again. Or there are individuals that will say, I am a born again Christian. Is there any other kind? If you want to be a child of God, you have to be born again. There's no other way. Well, what is the process whereby a person is born again? Jesus in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to him and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles which you are doing unless God be with him. Jesus said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus here talks about the new birth. Peter is talking about being born again. What is the new birth? Nicodemus thought he was talking about a physical birth. He asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And just imagine Jesus saying, Nicodemus, you missed the whole point. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, Except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus would go on to say, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Why would Jesus say you must be born again? Because that's the only way to become one of his disciples. The only way to be a disciple of Jesus is to take the message that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. See what God has set forth in his word about the conditions of salvation and then rise up, submit to what God says and enjoy the blessings of pardon. Now we talk about how sometimes people will banish the word of God and they will berate it, mock, ridicule and so on. Let me just ask this question. Do I have an honest and good heart? If I say that a person can become a child of God by doing something other than what the Bible says, am I being true to the teaching of the Bible? If I say, look, you don't have to be born again. You don't have to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. What did Jesus say? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Can you imagine somebody telling Jesus in the first century, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, surely we don't have to be baptized to be saved. What about on Pentecost Day? When Peter stood before multitudes of people, the other 11 apostles, or the other apostles standing up, preaching and teaching God's holy word, here are, here are multitudes hearing the gospel of Christ for the first time. 
And the Bible tells us that they were cut to the heart by that divine message. And they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. I want to ask you this question. What if I stood before you and I said, Here's what you need, here's what you need to do to be saved. Repent and enjoy the remission of sins. Would I be true to God? Is that what Peter said? Can you imagine somebody standing up and saying, all you need to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and guess what? You will enjoy forgiveness. That's not what Peter said. Now, it's one thing to banish the word of God from the presence of our lives. It's another thing to circumvent the clear-cut, plain, concise teaching of the Son of God. And so, when we talk about being born again and becoming children of God, we enjoy purification and pardon. And the only way to enjoy that is by doing exactly what the Lord said to do. A moment ago, I said that there are two key points with regard to to this message that we call the gospel. There is the aim of scripture and the authority of scripture. The authority of scripture says, this is what you have to do. You wanna be a child of God? Here's what the Bible says to do. So Peter was well aware of what it meant to be born again. The capabilities of the truth, and then there's a second thing I wanna call attention to, the challenges of the truth. And there are two very specific things I want to emphasize here. Number one, the practical application of the truth. What good would truth do me if I read it, study it, meditate upon it, but never internalize it? Do you remember what James said in James chapter 1? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. There is the importance of taking God's truth and making application to my life to making sure that this word is abiding in my life. In Colossians chapter three, Paul would say, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That is, let it find a home in your heart. How are you gonna do that? You're gonna have to spend some time in this book, aren't you? How is it that I could become, how can I become a better husband? By looking at what the scriptures have to say. By listening to what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How can I become a better father? By listening to what the Bible says. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6 at verse 4. How can I become... How, how can I become a better steward of the things that God has entrusted me with by understanding that there are responsibilities resting upon me with regard to the things that God has given into my care or custodianship. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 2, that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. You see, when I take the word of God and make application, I understand that every treasure that I have belongs to Almighty God. I'm just using it. It's on loan from Him. One day, it'll go to somebody else. 
but I want to be faithful in that stewardship. What about making application of the talents or abilities that I have? God says that we need to use our talents, our abilities for his cause, doesn't he? Do I make application of that to my life and try to use what feeble abilities or talents that I have to further his cause? I hope so. Look at what Peter said along these lines. Look at verse 22 by way of application. Peter said, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So here, here, here is an exhortation to God's people to love one another. Listen also to what he says over, drop down if you would, and look at verse 17 of chapter 2. Peter said, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Drop down to chapter 3. We talk about being a better husband. Verse 7, likewise you husbands dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. I understand that I need to treat my wife the right way. If I don't, it's gonna obstruct, obstruct my prayer life to Almighty God. And then in verse eight, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Drop down and look at, verse, look at verse 10. He who would love life, see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking guile or deceit. That's taking God's word and making application. In other words, I'm supposed to love. Genuine biblical love for one another. I am to be submissive to government authorities. I am to be kind and tenderhearted, compassionate, courteous, supposed to control my tongue. These are just basic fundamental elements of Christianity. Now there's a second thing I want to call attention to and that is the personal explanation of the truth. We talk about the challenges of God's truth. One is application. The second is explanation. In chapter 3 verse 15, listen to what Peter said. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Can you defend your faith? What do you believe? Peter said it's incumbent on you to know what you believe. Not only do you need to know what you believe, but you need to know why you believe it. And then to take it a step further, you need to be able to tell others Plainly, clearly, concisely, what you believe. Can you do that? Can you give a defense for your belief system? The only way that you're going to know what you believe is by spending time in this book. This book will shape, mold, and influence your life for the better. Too, too many times... We fail to take God's word and make application and then, I guess, the second part of that is we fail to, to really understand and deepen our spiritual understanding to the point where we can talk to people intelligently about the word of God. And Peter is saying we need to be able to give a defense 
for what we believe. There's a third thing I want to call attention to, and that is the incentives of the truth. What are the incentives for obeying the truth, for living according to God's holy word? Let me just say this. God's word will give you a proper analysis of life. You want to know what life's about? You want to come to understand the purpose of life and what, what, what life, what, what the deeper meaning of life is? You need to go to the truth. First of all, Peter said, it identifies for us the frailty of the flesh. Look at what he says in verse 24. He's talking about this incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. Because, he said, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. He said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All Peter is saying is life will not last forever here on planet Earth. We, we, we talk about life as we know it. And, and there are a lot of folks that have made their mark in this society. And so we talk about the glory of man and some of the accomplishments and achievements of modern man and man in days gone by. The fact of the matter is, this body's not going to last forever and the glory of man will not last forever. I guess maybe 20 years or so ago, probably over 20 years ago, we took a trip to Washington, D.C., and we went to Arlington National Cemetery. That's quite a place. A lot of things to see at that cemetery. And we stood at the graves of the Kennedys. We stood at the grave of John Kennedy, his brother Bobby. And I think about their fame, their fortune, their glory. I've been reading about those guys since I was a little fellow in elementary school. But you know what? Their days on earth have long since passed. Their days of glory, they're gone. One day our days of glory, they'll be gone. It's just a fact. Probably the one writer that puts the brevity of life into perspective better than anyone is Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Go home tonight and read Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And read, if you will, how Solomon very vividly describes the aging process. And you know what? For all of us, the story ends the same. Death. Just like the grass withering and the flower fading. This life will end in death. God gives us a perspective on life. I don't care how many Botox treatments you have. I don't care how many facelifts you have. I don't care how much time you spend at the gym. I don't care what kind of health foods you, you eat, how many vitamins you take every day. The bottom line is this, you will not beat death. It is coming. 
And the Bible gives us an analysis of what life is all about. And it's not about the here and now. It's about preparing for the end. So we talk about the frailty of the flesh and the fortune, the good fortune of the faithful. Let me close by saying this. There are multiple treasures to be had by following the truth of Almighty God. Let me close by reading for you what Peter said in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now note what he says. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. Contrast that with this world. Contrast what the Apostle Peter said here to human life or human existence. Peter said we are looking forward to the day when we receive that inheritance which is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it does not fade away. And he said it is reserved in heaven for you. The fortune of the faithful. You live by this book, I promise you God will bless your life. Not only now, but one day when you stand before him in the judgment, he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. In closing, has the truth influenced your life for the better? There are lots of people in our world today that could benefit from this good book. This book, greatest book I know, because you see, it tells me what I need to do to live for God and to have a home with Him in heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ this hour. Believe that He is the Son of God. Be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin. Do like they did on Pentecost Day. 3,000 people on that day, some 3,000 people repented of their sins and they were baptized into Christ. And you know what God did? He added them to the church, Acts 2.47. And he'll add you to the church tonight. You can leave here a saved, redeemed, cleansed child of God. You can walk away from here knowing that every sin is behind you. You don't have to face them again. And then just live faithfully. And enjoy the blessings of a faithful life. It may be that you're here tonight, you're not faithful. You don't have that inheritance. Maybe at one time you did. But that inheritance has been revoked. Go back and read sometime the book of Numbers, chapter 14, where God talked about the children of Israel. And God, in the long ago, revoked their inheritance. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, wandering around, didn't get to see the promised land. If you're not faithful to the Lord, you don't have the hope of a promised land. But if you'll come, come home to him, he'll forgive you. That's the kind of God we serve. John said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?